Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have an interesting show for you today. The entire world has gone on lockdown, but as far as this podcast is concerned, the show goes on. I was on the ground at Indian Wells when the decision to shut down tennis shook out last Sunday night. Many players left town, but many stuck around, and today's guest was one of the latter. He grew up in Gallatin, Tennessee, with a court in his backyard, and was a mid-level junior until he was 15. He led the University of Tennessee to the NCAA Finals in 2011. He grinded on the Pro Tour, cracked the top 100 in 2017, and made a monster splash at the 2018 Australian Open, where he posted wins over Stan Wawrinka and Dominic Team on his way to the quarterfinals. His run to the quarters was marred by reports of social media posts he had made that espoused radical right-wing political views. He won Auckland, New Zealand in 2019, and just this past January made another run to the quarters at the Australian Open, beating Berrettini, Fonini, and he infamously lost to Roger Federer in five sets after squandering seven match points. One of the most articulate and polarizing players on tour, Tennis Sangren, is going to tell us what it's currently like to be a pro player in light of the shutdown. He's going to talk about what happens when you start choking in the warm-up, and he's going to tell us how he thinks the future of tennis should be plant-based, namely wood rackets. We sat down with Tennis this past Wednesday, immediately after he played a 10-game pro set for his budding tour rookie, J.J. Wolf. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com. Well, first of all, we're in uh, 77323 Avenida Fernando at La Quinta Resort. We're in like some sort of tennis nuclear winter. I mean, I don't know how you, how you explain this, man. We're in the tennis netherworld right now. We're in the underworld. Gentlemen, you hear a member of the all-name Hall of Fame, top-level quarterfinalist of uh, this year's Australian Open, mm-hmm. Tennis Sandgren. Surprisingly enough. By the way, I mean, incredible that you play pro tennis and your first name is Tennis. Yeah, that's... Uh... Maybe the strangest thing thus far. We were at dinner last night, me and a crew, and I was like, can you believe this guy's name is Tennis and he plays pro tennis? They say unbelievable. Yeah, it just, it shouldn't be, but maybe it was always supposed to be, you know? No doubt. What else was I going to do? So listen, we go, we do a five-set format. Our first set is the off-the-court report. We are as off-the-court as you could be. Um, What are you... What have you learned over the last day or two? What have you learned today? News is coming in hot. Yeah. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, we'll know tomorrow. We'll know the fate of things tomorrow. But, I mean, as it stands, I mean, Europe's in trouble right now with how the virus is spreading, and that's where the swing heads to after Miami. So you, I don't know the state of those events, but you got to think that those are, I mean, we're putting... There are travel restrictions. There are self-quarantine restrictions. If you're coming in and out of Italy, coming in and out of Spain, I think. Um, Germany's like, so how are you supposed to go from country to country without with 14-day travel, uh, a quarantine on you? You can't. Uh, you can't have fans gathering and at events. 
Um, so I, I don't see how I don't see how a Europe swing is, is viable even a little bit. What has the conversations been like in the locker room around the grounds? I mean, everybody was locked in, ready to seem like. To be honest, it seemed like everyone had a kind of a feel for disaster. You know, I had, I had no, I heard nothing mm. prior to hearing about a meeting taking place on what yeah. was it Tuesday, Yesterday. Monday, Monday after, no, Monday, Monday, Monday afternoon when they before they because they canceled Monday Monday evening, right? And they canceled this event Monday evening. Is that correct? Because qualities were supposed to start Tuesday, so they canceled they canceled Monday. Okay. I believe that's right. Was it Sunday? The days are starting to fall Sunday or Monday. It was, it was Sunday or Monday. Sunday. Sunday, right. So I didn't know anything was going on until Sunday afternoon when I read on Twitter from John Wertheim that there was a meeting taking place. That was the first I heard of, of, of something happening. And then... Well, that just speaks to some... I mean, that speaks to dysfunction. And then I saw that the turn was canceled from the BNB Paribas Twitter handle. That somebody sent a screen grab of, the, of them tweeting that the turn was canceled. So that's how I learned that there was a meeting. That's how I learned that there was a cancellation. So I had no clue that anything was going on. You've been fairly, um, I don't think outspoken is the right word. I think you've been fairly active in your sort of identifying some hypocrisies Mm. and sort of double standards and such. I try to make some commentary on it. Yeah, but, that, that, but did, did that sort of land, does this kind of situation land there? I've been fairly displeased, really, um, with how this difficult situation has been communicated. It's just, communicated. Been, it's just been communicated poorly. I don't think the decision was wrong. I don't think, you know, I think that the, the decision was probably the right one. Uh, but how it was communicated, I had no idea. I, I don't know how many players knew, but it seemed like it was like a, you're in the know or you're not in the know. Where where's the where's the open line of communication? Where's the you have my number? <laughs> you have everybody's numbers. You have everybody's emails. You know, it's like uh, it'd be nice to know what's going on. If I'm not checking Twitter, I don't know what's happening, which is bizarre to me. It's that's a bizarre thing. What will you do? Will you go to? Will you go on? Will you? Uh, will I'll you go, go home. To, yeah. I'll go home, and uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. If if they if they let's say they let's say they shut the tour down for six weeks. I mean, by the way, I that's the word. Um, that's the that's the tentative word, but nothing's official, and we don't know. But let's say that's the case. I don't know. You know, I, I'll probably spend a couple of weeks doing something. I want to go somewhere. I'd like to like to get out of it for a little bit, and then get back to training, so I'm prepared for whatever event is after the six week mark, um, because that's the professional thing to do. But definitely want to spend a couple of weeks, um, you know, getting the mind right a little bit. Mm. It's nothing to what do you spin your wheels? You know, six I'm, weeks of training is a long time. Everybody's long time. in a fog. It's like you don't quite yeah. have a. It's a very limbo situation. And we just came off of. We just. I mean, we just came off the preseason, and and for me, I you know I've only played one event since Australia, and I've already ha- I've had a few weeks where I've been training and stuff, and so it's it's uh, yeah, it's a wild. It's a, I mean, it's a wild, wild thing. This thing is. You talk about the the scope for tennis, but for sport and for life in general right now is just taking a hit. Everybody's taking a hit across the globe. You know, we can't gather as a group. You gotta be feeling pretty good about making 400 grand at the Australian <laughs> Open <laughs> last month. That, uh, <laughs> that helps, that helps, that helps, especially looking at the stock market today, jeez. 
Let's move into our second set. We call this the On the Court Report. Listen, I had the um, privilege of being in Australia um, second week. Um, I just want to add, I mean, you had you had a um, terrific tournament. You beat Berrettini. You. you routined somebody. Sam. Uh, Trungoletti. Oh, sorry. You routined Trungoletti first round. Trungoletti, Berrettini, Berrettini Sam, Sam. You beat them in straights. Yep. I was at the Fonini match. And I just have to ask you, um, he seemed like he was softened up because he had a tough, I think he had two tough five setters mm-hmm. in advance of your match. Yes. But you were up two sets to love and I think like maybe a break, two, four, and he went lights out for 20, 25 minutes. Well, well I was up <laughs> 4-1 in the second for love. I was serving, I was serving for love in the second and he breaks me, he has this insane break point, breaks me and I'm like, oh gosh. I know what's coming. I know what's coming because he can turn it on a dime. So I know what's happening. So now it's one break, and he rattles off four more games. It goes up 5-4. And I'm thinking, goodness gracious. I'm sorry. That's what it was. Yeah, I'm like, went, that happened He went fast. lights out. Yes, But lights you collected out. yourself. And I, won, I rattled off three games in a row to win at 7-5. And I'm like, what just happened? What's it feel like to be on the side of the court when he, when he goes lights out like that? And for our listeners, if you have a chance... Try to find the match because Crazy. Fabio Fanini went. I mean, I don't know if you can play better tennis in the world. Well, he went a wall. He went a wall for about fifteen <laughs> minutes, and then he and yeah. then he just found it. And that's what he does. That's what he does. And it's it's a cool thing to see because once he finds it, you can just see it, and you know what's coming. And you're like, oh man, I wish I could have won more games while this wasn't happening. He was like blowing kisses to the crowd. <laughs> he was going buck wild. Yep. Yep, he loves it. But what what goes through your mind at that moment? You just try to stay stay the course. Yeah, try and serve well. Try and try, try to well. control as many things as you can because once you get to neutral in the rally, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because nobody hits the ball cleaner than him. No, listen. You came into the turn. I got to ask you. You came into the tournament. You got veins ripping out of your arms. You look incredible. Brad Gilbert said something. He said, "Man, this guy looks like he's got the biggest arms on tour right <laughs> now. He's all beefed up." Um, what kind of training did you do in advance of that? It looks like you got yourself into incredible shape. Yeah. Uh, Are you in the best shape of your life? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, I, I, was, I went on a pretty hard diet for about four or five months um, from just before the U.S. Open through the whole year, basically, through the whole rest of the year. Just really, really strict. Uh, no gluten, September, no dairy, no October, sugar. November, November, December. December. Yeah. Super no hard. dairy. No dairy, no gluten, no sugar. Like fruit, sugar from fruit, but like no like chocolate or anything like that. Just super, super strict. No macaroni. No. No. Um, and then I, I was in the gym every day. I mean, I, 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 maybe took, I maybe took a week off of the gym from when I got back from China because I hurt my toe. Um, and I only got to play one week in China. So it's like the middle end of September through the first of the year. Uh, I was. In the, I must have missed maybe a week in the gym total. And you're a, you're a best of five set. Yeah. Player. Yeah. Just trying to prep as best I can for these guys that, um, you know, like the the Novaks of the world that are in insane shape, and you know that if you play them, you better be in shape, and if you're not, you're not going to win. That's it. Well, I got to tell you, man. I mean, I'm not sure there's a better at the at very least a, on the a better American five set player right now. Federer was the first was the first five set loss I had. That was the first one I've, I think it was four and zero. 
Should have been. Should, well, shouldn't have even gotten to the to the fifth set. But, oh man, I was at that uh, match too. Yeah. I, I was trying to get to know you a little bit before I asked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> before I bring up the death, the death in your family, the tragedy. <laughs> you know, he looked dead in the water. Mm. How agonizing. That was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. It was just terrible. The hardest know? moment of your career? It was terrible. No. No. No, not the hardest moment. Not the hardest moment. I've had some, because it's one thing to lose that match on that stage, and that comes with a lot, especially for me, a guy that's you know mm -hmm. done a lot to be in that opportunity to have a look like that. It's not like that was my 12th quarterfinal and you know, I had a look, whatever. It's, 100%. That was, my, that was really my only... Uh, the 2018, by the time the quarterfinals rolled around, I was exhausted. I don't even feel like I was on the court when I played. So, so this year's one, I felt like I was in a good place and as good physically as you could ask for and 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 felt good going. I thought I was going to win the match when I walked on the court. I really felt good about my chances. I just did. And wasn't surprised in the situation I was in. And it just, you know, it unfolded in a way that just didn't go in my favor. And I could have done some things better, but I did... Uh, a lot of good things on those points and it just didn't work out for me and but yeah but i've had some tough moments in in matches where you're playing for a couple hundred dollars and you're nowhere and you then you lose and then you're going back to the ramada inn and you know it's like those moments are that's like that's a different level of empty so to go to come to go back into the locker room and and feel like you know you let a big opportunity slip away that that hurts a lot and and who knows you know, who knows if I'll get another look like that? Who, you know, who really knows? But um, it was cool to be out there and at least have that opportunity. Better than being at the Ramada. Better than better being better than, than losing Dubuque. Better than losing second round at a at a fifty k and and being two hundred and thirty in the world. You know, I mean that stuff. That stuff's brutal too. So there's there's different levels of brutal out there. Did your body and your mind like start to like? I, I can, I mean, listen, I'm just a club player, but, you know, even when you're playing a club match, sometimes, like, you can feel so nervous and tight where your arm, like, gets numb. Did mm. did any of that happen no, to you? No, no, I, I, I stayed pretty relaxed, and I, I stayed, I was, I, I stayed mentally in the moment pretty well, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any kind of those, those tight feelings. I know what that feels like, that nervous kind of paralysis. I missed one inside out forehand that I was surprised that I missed. I missed it wide. I went for a heavy inside out and I missed it wide. And I, I kind of scratched my head like, you don't miss that shot wide. It just doesn't go wide. And I was, I was like, okay, that was probably a little tight. Okay. Well, it's like a, it was, I, I was able to observe that and be like, you know, it's okay. I was, I was forgiving of myself. It's like, what are you going to do? You, you missed a shot by six inches. You were maybe a little tight. Okay. Fair enough. Let's keep going. It's, you're in a good, you're still in a good spot. And you know, like I said, it just, it just wouldn't fall my way. And maybe it was never going to, you know, maybe it was just never going to happen. It was close, but you know, it reminded me of that, uh, the, uh, it was an old school where Will Ferrell does, is in the debate and he gives some elaborate answer and then he goes, sorry, I blacked out what happened. And that reminded me <laughs> of Roger's uh, presser after the match where he thought he made a bunch of first serves. He didn't, he couldn't remember the, the match points. And it was like, he was kind of like I blacked out. I blacked out what happened. And he that played, was almost. And he played them. He played them sick. I mean, he played unbelievable points. He really did. Well, he didn't miss. He didn't miss, and he, he put the miss. ball in good spots. And he forced me to take a, a risk. I wasn't willing to take a big risk after I, I went for something in the, on the first one. And and he played them fantastic. Played them fantastic. What's it like to walk onto that court with when you're playing Roger Federer? 
Um, well, I've seen it. Does like does but does like any like really fucked up shit go through your head where you're like, <laughs> oh my god, I did you ever have like some crazy thought where like your mind goes to I don't even know, just a different place. Well, and you need to be I've like, well, I gotta him. dial this back in. Man. Roger's one of those guys where if you, when you see him in the locker room or you see him in dining or something like that, he has an aura about him that is unmistakable. He just does, and there are a few guys that have that, and there are a few celebrities that have that, and he's just one of them. He's just one of them, and everybody. That's what I mean. You ask anybody, that's what they say. But you just don't tighten up like a drum. Um, and so when I walked on the court and we're starting to hit and we're warming up and stuff, I've seen him play so many times, but now he's on the other side of the net and I'm the guy who's playing against him. I'm that schlub that you're like, oh, wow, I wonder how bad Rogers going to beat this guy, you know? And so, <laughs> and so uh, it was funny when, when we were taking practice serves and, and Rod Laver's a tiny bit slanted. That court's a little slanted. So on the one side, you're serving a little bit up. It's the darndest thing. So I'm warming up on that side. And I'm hitting serves. Hold on a second. Um, I swear it's a little slanted. Which, which so from the so the boxes that where where all the where all like where where Rod Laver sits and where yes. the federation sit. That's the that's down. The to, that's the that's downside. The, that's the high that's, side. That's the high side. Right. That's so the, the other side. The low side. Yeah. You swear it's slanted. I swear it's slanted. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I swear that's twice. My, it's my second time out there, and I swear the other side you're serving a little bit uphill. Continue. That's that's my that's my opinion. I could, again, I could be wrong. Gotta, I could be wrong. I've had a little Jameson in the coffee. I, I could yeah. be wrong. Anyway, so I'm taking warm up serves and I'm 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 getting tight. I miss my first serve in the net. I'm like, shoot, I miss the next two in the net. And I'm like, and then I start my arm. I actually started. I was way tighter hitting warm up serves than I was on the on the match points. That's for sure. Because I ended up making maybe four serves over the net. And so for people who now, I haven't studied the warm-up. It's you have like three, four balls, and your opponent has three, four balls, and you're serving cross court to each other. So if you're serving all yours in the net and he's serving all his over the net, well, he doesn't have any balls to serve with anymore. So now I'm thinking Roger doesn't have any balls to serve with. So I'm like hustling to the net. I'm tapping balls back over to him, and then I get my balls that he's made over, and I miss those in the net, and I do the same thing. And I'm thinking, you know what? Roger Federer probably thinks I can't make a serve. Well, that's that's crossed my mind. Well, you choked the warm-up. I choked the warm-up serve. Yeah, I choked <laughs> serving choked serving warm-up serves. I absolutely. Choked. Choked. <laughs> choked the warm up. Yeah, I can. Choked I can honestly say I choked the warm up. Yeah. Let's move into our third set. This is the portion of our show we talk about your career. Um, I did some research. I learned about you a little bit. Where does your tennis begin, man? You're born and bred Tennessee. Yeah, Gallatin, Tennessee. How yep. come you don't got a funky accent? You know, um, thank goodness I don't. Um, <laughs> Do your parents speak? That? So my mom's from South Africa. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so she grew up in South Africa, and she immigrated over here about uh, thirty-one years ago. How'd your parents? My meet? dad was uh, in South Africa playing tennis tournaments, actually. Oh, come on. Yeah, and they met. They met in South Africa. Your father was playing satellites. Well, it, my dad was actually he was playing satellites, and he was with his girlfriend at the time, who was also playing satellite events in the women's tour. And my mom did her thing, and and. Uh, they found each other. Found each other. Yeah, they found each other. So, you, um, so, you so yeah, come so from I was, a tennis family. Yes. So, so your mother is from South Africa. Yes. Your father was a player. Yes. They met. Yep. They moved to Gallatin, Tennessee. Gallatin, Tennessee. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I don't know. They just, like I said, they just kind of kept going south, and was like, eh, "This is a good spot." And so the the court, the the the, the house we, I grew up in has a court in the backyard. And you were born in in Gallatin, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a court at your house. Court at the where, house. So that's where your tennis begins. Yep. So I had on that court, you know, when I, after like six, seven years old, I, you know, every day in the summer, and, and we would scrounge for indoor courts, and indoor court time's tough to come by. 
Um, Didn't yeah. Chris Woodruff go to Tennessee? He did. Did you practice did. with him when you were like four years old? <laughs> no, <laughs> I know he's no, older than you, but no, no, uh, no, I didn't. But but Chris has been—he's helped me a lot in my career for sure, for sure. Um, so what kind of a junior player were you? Um, I was pretty average till about fifteen. Till about 15, and then I, I won. Um, I started having better results nationally, and then I won clay courts in Kalamazoo in the 16s. Oh, you did? I did. Um, but prior to that, I mean, I was never sniffing. I was never sniffing winning like a 12s or 14s national tournament. 15 years old, you started playing good tennis. Started playing better. Just started playing better. I, I was always a. I was always a hard worker, and things started to turn for me in in a, in a, in a better way then. What was your best junior result, and what made you go to college? So my best, like my best slam result, junior slam, mm. was like round of sixteen. So nothing good. Where? At French. At French. I uh, maybe yeah. I, I think I got up to nine in ITFs, maybe. And had you been identified by the USTA? Were you like training mm, with? No. no, no, not really. You weren't one of their guys. Mm-mm. No, no, no. I never was. Never was. Never was. No, never was. Per you or per them? Per them. Per them. Yeah, I just never was. So I went to college. I was having mediocre future results. I'd, I'd maybe win a first round every now and then. Um, so I'm like, well, I'm not, I can't get better like this. This is, a, this, is too, this is too tough. If I had to get better like this, trying to fund my own career with trying to pay for it, I can't pay for a coach. I can't hard. pay for travel. I can barely afford to travel myself. I can't pay for a coach. And if I can't have a coach, there's no way I'm going to get better enough to like make it through futures. So I'm like, I'm going to school. And so I went to school, and we lost in the uh, NCAA finals my first year. I played line four, and we had a good squad. And then who played above you? Who played ahead of you? Uh, J.P. Smith played one. Uh, Boris Chonkich, actually Laszlo Jerry's coach, played two, and Ryan Williams played three. Are you a believer in college tennis? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I hesitate because it's tough. It's tough. Um, you have to be dedicated. If you're going to go to college and you want to play, you have to be serious. You know, I see good players. They're not serious, and they, they squander. But why did you hesitate? Do yeah, you hesitate because you think you should have turned pro, or do you no, hesitate because no, 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 you don't I, think it was, college? It was good for me. It was good for It was for good you. for me, absolutely. I don't know if I'd be a, a pro player if I didn't go to college. Did you improve? Yeah, in, yes. for sure. I, I, I figured out that's what I wanted to do, really, that I was really serious about this. You know, I was always serious, but it's like if you're not getting out of second round of futures— Okay, you can be serious all you want, but you don't want to be delusional. You know, if you're, you, you can only lie to yourself so hard. And everything, I think you need to lie to yourself a little bit to believe that you can be somewhere that you're not. But you know, to think that if you if you can't make more than one or two points a week, that you're going to be a top hundred player, that's tough. So college gave me a chance to really figure out how I'm going to get there. How do, how what do I need to improve on? Gave me the the facilities and the coaching and the tools to work hard and get to a better place than I was at prior to going to college. And those things are massive, but there's a lot of extracurricular kind of things that stand in your way of getting better too. So you have to be serious. And I think if if you're a young junior and you're serious about the game, I mean, absolutely go to. If you're not ready to play professionally, go to college and get better and and figure out you know get your life straight, get your mentality straight. What made you leave college and? And turn pro. I won a couple futures in the summer of 2011, and it was one of those things where I, I it, playing professionally was what I wanted to do. And if I would have won a couple futures before I went to school, I would have just turned pro. 
so I was like, I think, I think I'm ready to, to take a stab at this now rather than wait another year before doing so. And I don't think there was a wrong decision there, honestly. I think if I would have stayed in school, I would have gotten better. If I would have, um, you know, turned pro, I think that worked out too. I mean, it worked out well. So, I, but I don't think there was a wrong choice. I think if you want to stay in school for three, four years, get your degree and then go play, I think that's fine as well. And your dad passed away? He did in 2011. How'd that happen? Heart attack. Oh, come on. Heart attack, yeah. I was at a, he's from Michigan originally and they moved down. That was like, Tennessee was like just warm, just warm enough that my mom was like, okay, being from South Africa, I can live here. She's not living in Michigan. So, uh, but yeah, I was at a tournament actually. I was at a future. I just got to a future in Texas when I got the call from my mom that that that, that happened, that my dad passed away. He just dropped. Yeah, yeah. That's so a tough, you know. I was, a couple, I was a couple months into my pro career at that point, which was, uh, that, was a, that was obviously a tough thing. Yeah, yeah it's a tough yeah. um, club to be a member of. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how long were you screwed up from it? Um, we really, that was a few months. That was a few, that was a few months. That was a few months. I, it probably took me till February, March or so the next year. To, it was, it was October, 2011, February, March, starting to, uh, at least come to a daily where I'm, where I'm doing better day in, day out, you know, mm. still, you still have the occasional tough day, but rather than like the good days are the rarity and all the, the other days are kind of terrible and shitty. Um, it started to reverse there, but um, you know, I mean, that's people go through that. You know, that, that, that so happens. Bad. It's a part of life. It's, it's a part tough. of life. It's um, tough, though. You know, it's just one of those things that I, I know he'd be so thrilled to see some of these moments, see some of these these tournaments where where uh, you know, because I don't think he would have expected quite quite some of these results because some of these results are unexpected. So so it, it would have been cool to to get have his reaction because he was a player. Well, he I'm sure he's so proud of you. Was there a, a match or a moment where you thought maybe you could do something special? Hmm. That's a good question. I think in 2012 at the Winnetka Challenger in the summer, I played... That's outside Chicago. Yes. I played Benjamin Becker, who had just made a little run at Wimbledon. And he came over to Winnetka, which was during the second week, I think. I think he made like third round and he came to play Winnetka anyway. And I played him at a night match and I took him down in straights. And it was one of those things where you come from grass to a challenger, hard court. It's a tough transition. You only have a couple days. Uh, he probably had two days on the hard courts to practice. And one of those was probably a light hit because you just did a transatlantic flight, you know. Anyway, he, he probably wasn't very sharp. But I played a good match and I just beat a guy who won a couple matches at a slam. So I felt like, hey... You know what? Like I, I think I can do this in in a, in a in a way that that maybe I could be a real player. Was there any? I mean, I'm sure there was. Was there any losses that made you <laughs> um, quit? Uh, Did you ever like really legit shut it down? No, no, never. No, no. I mean, I've had some losses where my man, you have an incredible career. I mean, you didn't start playing really uh, elite tennis. Until 26? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had some losses where the, that, the rest of the day, I'm, I feel like I'm done. Yeah, I feel like I'm done. Like, I, I don't want this. Well, you got to lick I, your wounds, right? I don't want this. Like, I just, I don't want it. I don't, it's too hard. Everyone's too good. I'm not good enough. All these negative thoughts. I, like, 
what am I going to do now? It's, it's a Tuesday and I'm going to another challenger next week or another future. I've got to practice for five more days. I've got to travel to some other little city and I've got to somehow figure out how I'm going to get better, find some form. I didn't have a coach from, I mean, realistically from 2012 through 2017. Why? Beginning of, I couldn't afford it. Oh, come on. No. Couldn't so afford it at all. who'd you roll with? One. Nobody. I had a, Billy Heiser worked with me for a couple months, and that helped. That actually helped in the 2013. But I had hip surgery in March of 2014. A labrum tear. Labrum tear. I was actually playing pretty well. I won my first Challenger end of 2013. I lost in the finals of the Australian Open Wild Card event um, to Steve Johnson. I actually had a match point and four set for that one. So I was one point from making main draw of Australia, which would have been huge. I mean, Thirty grand. Paycheck would have been massive for me yeah. at the time. Um, and then you know a couple of weeks a couple of weeks later I tore my labrum for the second time actually. And, and the first uh, time you didn't have school. surgery. First time I was in school and I didn't have surgery. I just did rehab and it was better. So then by March I had surgery, and so that set me back a good a good ways. Set me back a good ways. By February in 2015 I was 680 in the world. Labrum tear is a 10 month injury. I was playing inside six months from surgery. You were. Yeah, inside six months. I had surgery March 5th, and I was playing U.S. Open qualities. Pain-free. Yeah. Pain-free. Hmm? That's a good effort. Serious rehab. Serious rehab. Yeah. Serious rehab. Followed it to a T. Um, 2006, uh, sorry, 2018 hmm. is when you started making your money moves. 2017, I made top 100 for the first time in like June, end of June, I think. I got in the U.S. Open on my own ranking, which was the first time I got into a slam on my own ranking. And then played a bunch of challengers in the fall of 2017 to get, stay inside of 100 to make Australia and barely, barely scrape through to get there. And it seems like you have like a kindred brotherhood with these like guys that are like <laughs> ruining their lives and challenges. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, you identify with these guys. Nobody else understands what it is you're doing. Nobody gets it. Nobody gets this week in, week out grind for. Some maybe something paying off at some point, you know. So anytime one of us sees another one of us do well and make them run, it's like, well done, well done, buddy. You know, well done. Um, it's a cool thing. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. You're good. Continue. You're good. Um, so yeah, just then I played a bunch of challengers in the fall and, and got in Australia, Maine, and and I uh, was work. I was working with a coach, Jim Madrigal, a guy from Nashville. Um, Jim Madrigal from. Um, what, end of April of 2017 through all the way through the end of 2018. So we, we did some good work. He did a lot of good work with me. He traveled with me most weeks, and you know he got me into a place where I was kind of a top 100 player. When did you start getting in trouble for the tweets that you had fired out earlier in your life? When did that? After I beat team in 2018. The round of 16? You weren't hearing rumblings of it before? No, it just no. came out? Yeah. Do you have a panic attack? Uh, I didn't at the time. You I did I mean, not. I, at the time, I just... Kept your head down. I mean, I'm getting asked about liking... I'm, I liked the tweets from somebody who was problematic. It's like, okay, you know, I see, the, I see, what's, I see what's going on, but at the same time... I think the one of the comments I made was if you read an editorial page from somebody in the newspaper, do you then agree with everything that they've ever written in their whole, 
you know, writing careers. No, of course not. Of course not. But that's how, that's how these things work, you know. That's how they work. Was it a mistake? Uh, I wouldn't say a mistake. No. no, it's just, and there's things that people are taking the worst interpretation of something and, and spinning it out of context. And there are things that aren't. And uh, when you, if you use the word mistake, I think there's a handful of things that I would deem a mistake. But the, the, the stuff in general, it's like, I'm trying to figure things out too, man. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. For I'm not sure. perfect, but I, I can't go back and say that everything that wasn't perfect was also a mistake. You know, and, that helps shape who I am right now. And so I can't go back and change anything. And did you grow up um, hyper-religious? I would say hyper-religious. I went to church. I went mean, to I, church. I, I identify as being Christian. Um, I still go to church when I'm at home. Um, yeah. But you don't, like, um, you don't go to church every day and, and those kind of things like no, that? No, I mean, I go to church when I'm home and I've got a Sunday where I'm not exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, part of your how you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Did 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 that did that fold into some of the maybe some of the people you followed on Twitter and those kind of things? Did that did it, did that impact that? Just like where you're from and how you grew, like does. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, I grew up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a conservative Christian household. Is that right? Yeah. So I mean, that's going to influence my person for sure. What's that like? For sure. Uh I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was good for me. I thought it was good. I mean, I, 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 love, I love my parents, you know. They were awesome. They raised me well, I think. Um, but man, listen, they're everyone... Tough. To, they're every, tough. They're every, tough. That's the thing. Tough. You, you saw, uh, 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 <laughs> Conservative Christian household, it's tough. It's tough, man. But it's, it's good. It's good. I still hear my parents' voices when I'm thinking about doing something stupid, you know. <laughs> it's a good thing. How would you describe your pro career to someone who maybe you know, doesn't know that much about mm. you? Uh, you know, I would say to like the average American, like I played, you know, single A, double A, and triple A baseball most of my life. And uh, I've had some some time now in the majors and some good moments too. But triple A is always right around the corner. <laughs> it's always right around the corner. Man, you know, I would ask you what's next for you, but I, but geez, I mean... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, there's a world where we're not where we're not coming back to the grass. That could be a thing, and maybe beyond. I mean, we we just don't know. We just don't know. The summer might be a wash. I mean, things are. I enjoyed this conversation thus far because I've thought I haven't really thought about coronavirus in the last twenty minutes, but <laughs> thought about uh, how this is impacting everything. Yeah, it's no, uh, no. it's wild. It's wild, and and so you know we're gonna have to hunker down a little bit. And uh, let this thing let this thing run its course, and make sure we're not uh, impacting things in a negative way by by pulling crowds to events or, or you know having people gather for for our tennis. You know, I, but at the same time, people need you know entertainment to to get through stuff. It's 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 useful. It's helpful. So you know we'll see. Strange days indeed. Strange days. Moving to our fourth set. This this is the ten ball scramble. Ten ball scramble. Um, Sounds awesome. We don't do a deep dive. I say something, and you say what comes into your mind. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Favorite tournament. Um. Wow. I'm really uh, not saying the first thing that comes to my name. Australian Open. Australian Open. Fact. Yes. You do love it the most. Yes. All right. Yes. Most disliked tournament. Oh man. Uh, I played the Stockton Challenger one year. Not a fan. Not a fan. Hotel got shot at 
with a, with a real bullet <laughs> with a live round went through the glass of another hotel room. Um, How'd you do like in the one. tournament? I lost in the quarters to Cam Nori, which was the fourth loss to Cam Nori in a row at, at Challenger events. That would I could see why that would be your most disliked yeah, tournament. Shock, yeah. Shotgun blast and losing four times to four times to Cam Nori. <laughs> Favorite court. Uh, what's the what's the, what's High Sense called now? High Sense Arena. Yeah. What is it? What is it now? What is it called now? Melbourne. Melbourne Arena. Melbourne Arena. Yeah. You love that court. Love that court. Best win on that court. Uh, team in round sixteen. Oh come uh, on, man! That win was sick. Woo! That win was sick. To come back in the fifth was probably the coolest moment of my career. Least like court. Oh man. There's got to be a court you just hate. You walk on the court and you're like, oh, man, just get me you know, off this it, court. It, it might be a grandstand in Atlanta. Grandstand in Atlanta last year. It was, it, was, it was right. It was connected to stadium court, and they were playing really loud music, and so the stands are shaking. But the stands that are shaking is our wall that's on the court. And so you see it moving while we're playing. And there was this big air conditioning unit that on the one side of the court, you actually can't hear the ball being struck because it's just the air conditioning unit. Oh, and it was man. also like a wind tunnel. It was the strangest, oddest. I had lost my mind five different ways on that court when I played it. And I also played Radu Albot, which also will make you lose your mind because the guy is just an absolute fiend back there. He's a scrapper. Radu Albot. Impressive man, that Radu Albot. Very impressive. Man. Um, particularly, I think, that year. He was, he was unbelievable. Very well. He was every yeah, yeah. every match that was like, well, this is like this is kind of a toss up. He won all of those matches. I think you just said it. Your best moment in tennis, <sighs> man. Pro- yeah, team in five. Probably that one. Yeah, that one was awesome. What was the second that one, one was that was awesome. floating into your um, active mind? Finals of of Auckland was really cool. Um, winning Auckland. Winning Auckland was really cool. That was special. Your worst moment. Worst moment, man. I've had some bad moments. <laughs> I mean, the freshest one in my head is the Roger one for sure. But worst moment's not fair for that one. It's not fair because it's there was a lot of good in that one too. It was a really tough moment. Um, there's some there's some challenger future somewhere where I lost some tough match and I just they all run together a little bit there. Big entourage or lean and mean? Lean and mean. Why? Uh, well. I'm just now starting to add a little few more members to my entourage. So I've lean and mean was my was my uh, go to. And you're without a. I'd say if you're traveling by yourself, you're pretty lean and mean. You know, I have to say, um, it's not spoken about a lot, but it seems to me like player box management is a thing. Yeah. Um, when you know. Stefano Sissipas has got 60, 16 guys in the in the box pumping fist pumping every point. Doesn't that focus and mo- that to me is like you know Spike Lee egging on Reggie Miller. Like I see that and I'm like, man, this the opponent mm. is going to feed off of this obnoxious box. Right, right. Do you uh, feel yeah. that or do you, do you uh, keep your head down? No, no. I mean, not not really. There's a lot going on on this, and and the, the crowds are loud anyway. So it's it's you're not looking at the opponent's box, you know. But maybe that's why I play well in Australia a lot too, just because I've got some friends down there and they always show up and give me their energy and, and are pumping hard and, and that helps. I mean, you it helps like a lot. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, coaching from the player box. No, I want no part of that. On court coaching. No part of that. 
No coaching. Favorite player growing up. You know, up. it's funny. It's funny. Sorry. It's funny. They what did they what did the WTA say that there's co- they're allowing coaching now from the box, right? Yes. And they said that because it's happening anyway, so we're going to allow it, right? But that that's one of the weirdest things I've ever heard as far as an argument for allowing something to happen. If you don't think it should happen, then you should enforce the rule rather than just allow it to not be a rule anymore. Well, it's a strange thing to me to say, well, it's happening anyway, so we're just going to allow it. Why don't you enforce the rule? I mean, I have like very vivid Strange. memories of Andre, you know, always describing, you know, the sport as being the loneliest place mm, in the world. Right. And it's like, well, that's what makes it unique. Exactly. Come exactly. On, man. Exactly. I, I don't like the idea of coaching. And I think that uh, it is a unique aspect of tennis that should stay and should be, um, you know, sanctified in that way. By the way, you know who likes the idea of coaching? Coaches. Yeah, well, yeah, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna like, you're gonna like, you know, who likes to do more lawyering, you know, lawyers, you know, you know who likes doing surgery. <laughs> um, favorite player growing up, uh, Guga. Shout out to Guga. He's the um, man. He's the man. Oh, what a player. He's what a man. personality. Last book read. <sighs> Come on, man. Reading a lot, man. Oh, you do. Uh, um. I'm reading Beyond Good and Evil right now, little Nietzsche. Um, I'm reading The Power of Now by, um, what's his name, Eckhart Tolle. Um, the last book I finished was, I think it was a book on Cicero. Do you read on, uh, do you read on a uh, tablet or do you buy the book? Both. I like to buy the book, but sometimes if I'm in a bind, I'll, I'll get the book on my phone. I like having the copy of the book, though. Tennis Sangren reading books. Um, <laughs> Last concert attended. I went to uh, oh, uh, Tool. I went to Tool concert at Staples Center. I could picture you at Tool. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Last drink drank, aside from this one here. Um, I had way too many beverages on Sunday night. <laughs> when went, they canceled? <laughs> they canceled the event. I think a lot of players did as so well. So you walk it yeah. like you talk it. You, when Absolutely. you said, I'm going drinking. Yes. You went. I went and drank, yeah. That was it. I went and put down half yards at Yard House. With who? Uh, with uh, my buddy Karsten Ball and and one of his friends, and uh, he was working with Madison Brangle, so she was there as well. And we had a good time. That's good. Um, last movie watched? Hmm. Creed Two. I watched Creed Two. It was actually really good. Big fan. Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny, man? You know what's really funny is. There's a world where he wins. And it's funny how it's, it's coming down to the two people that it's going to come down to, which is hysterical to me. But it seems the more that he gaffs and like comes off as not being able to speak anymore, the funnier it is and like the more likely it is that he's going to win. It's the most bizarre thing. It doesn't matter. It, it literally doesn't matter anymore how many gaffes he has. Donald it's Trump. crazy. I mean, how is he handling coronavirus? Horribly, huh? gross terribly yeah, terribly bad like and and uh you know I, it's it, it could be very problematic for the for the uh the upcoming race not only just for our country but for the race that's coming up for the presidential race if you handle this situation poorly uh sleepy joe might be able to you know make the upset fascinating keep up the bad work let's move into our fifth and final set this is the king of the court if you were the king of tennis and you could make a big change in the sport or any change you wanted with one 
uh, swing of the racket without any real aggravation, what would it be? Back to wood rackets. We're moving back to wood. No more polyester, back to wood. Yeah. Hard bat. Yeah. Everybody. Yes. Make the whole sport back to wood rackets. Pro, 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 the pro ranks back to wood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take it back. I'm tired of all this above the shoulder nonsense. I'm tired of how heavy everything's gotten, how slow everything's gotten. The balls are heavier. The courts are slower. You can't come to the net. If you come to the net, you get passed. It's not a lot of fun. My man. I, I would, would love to see some way, versatility. I would, I would love to see some different styles of play. I would love to see some more slice. I'd love to see some more uh, dink and dunk. People able to come in. And with the better athletes that are, are playing tennis and just the training, how it's evolved, you're still going to have big serves and you're still going to have you know big forehands and things like that. But you're going to have more intricacy and you're going to have some more uh, versatility. And I think that's, that's, a, that's overall a better thing. And the aesthetic. The aesthetic of wood is phenomenal. The aesthetic of these multicolored rackets, I don't know. I don't think it's that good. Yo, we've done 62 episodes of this show. Tennis Sangren with the most exciting... There we go. Fifth set maneuver. There we go. There we go. Come on, man. <laughs> I love every second of that. It would be good, huh? Oh, it would be good. Best. Now, it what about the size of the head? Would you allow, like, no. would you allow, like, no. Just no. Old school. Old school, baby. Right, old Jack school. Kramers. Old school. We're back. Yeah. We're back. I think the aesthetic, because that's part of the, that's part of the shtick, is the aesthetic of the game, and we're losing it. Did you grow up with, uh, what was your first racket? My first racket was this old uh, Wilson Graphite thing. Wilson Graphite. Yeah, I played yeah. with Wilson my whole life, basically. My man. I still uh, love getting taking wood rackets out there and hitting with the bats. It's it's awesome. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. And it's you fun. can hit a slice serve so sweet. Sweet. The, I mean, the backhands feel great. It's fun to just, like, playing the game is actually more fun with the wood. It's different. It is. Yeah. It's different. It's, it's a different sport. It's a different sport. It's a different sport. Yeah. My man, um, can't thank you enough. Cool. Hey. Yeah, no, welcome, it was man. great. You're welcome. Um, I guess we'll see you down the road, wherever that road may lead. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You know, it's like I said, it's going to be an interesting few months here. It's going to be interesting. But, uh, you know, I hope we make good, decision, good decisions for these countries that we're going to go play in. I hope we make good decisions for them. And I hope, uh, you know, things start to uptick in the right direction for everybody. Hey, man, this was a great chat. Enjoyed uh, it. Tennis Sangren, you are released. Thank you very much. Huge thank you to Tennis Sangren. Huge thank you to the La Quinta Tennis Villa. We'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com. Thank you to our new patron, Jason Warner. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron of the show, now is the time. We just posted some new members-only premium content. Head on over to patreon.com slash underreviewtennis to read all about it. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash underreviewtennis. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Under Review Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. And to catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. And Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.